I'm Maserati E. And I'm Chris Redlitz. Welcome to The Last Mile Radio. We're paving the road to success. No lie. I've been on a mission for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. I've been on a mission for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. Hey, paving the road to success. I'm paving the road to be my best. I'm paving the road to success. Yo, E. Chris, what up, what up, what up? Well, I've been waiting a long time for this interview. This is true. <laughs> yeah, this is someone who's super special. And we, you know, we've talked a lot about, like, how do you resolve issues? You know, you can do it from afar or you can really do it firsthand. And as we, we term it, going into the belly of the beast. And mm. this, this particular person has gone into the belly of the beast way before anybody else would. We're talking about decades ago that he actually did this. We're talking about Father Greg Boyle, who really, uh, in my mind, was the first one to go in and do the things that he did in the gang-ridden communities of East L.A. and uh, started to really do the work in the community. We talk a lot about doing the work inside prison, but also doing the work in the community where he was you know, trying to help those youth who were, you know, at a crossroads of their lives, trying to create truce and um, working, uh, you know, across sort of gang lines as well. And he did that effectively. You know, we talk a lot about fearlessness and commitment, but he took that to a whole new level. This guy is really an amazing character, you know, amazing person. And uh, an inspiration that I really looked at. And as we started last mile, he was one of those examples of you can actually do this against all odds. You can do something and grow something into uh, what Homeboy Industries is today, which is is really sort of an internationally known brand, so to speak. And um, the, the success they have is really, really incredible. Definitely. I, I definitely heard about Homeboy Industries. I've been hearing about them since I was on the inside. No exaggeration. And, and you know, Father Greg's story, is, is it's like a damn movie, Chris. Like, that is incredible, man, to be able to go, like we say, into the belly of the beast, to be embraced by the hood. I mean, that's where he came from to begin with. However, though, you know what I mean? It, it's like to be able to make that type of impact, because we know it typically gets con- sensationalized. You know what I mean? When it comes, like, to, to representation, if we will, especially, like, in media or anything like that, when it comes to, like, the hood life, right? Like, the life in the ghetto, if we will, right? So to be able to make that type of impact and get people to to heal because i feel like ultimately to to be able to 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 resolve any issues it takes a degree of healing you know what i mean especially when you have a harm party when somebody's been hurt you know what i mean to be able to forgive somebody or even to to call a short-term truce you know what i mean like i feel like that takes a, a certain degree of healing to be able to comply with that so to get people to that degree of healing to ultimately comply with these like truths and and, 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 and and like really resolving certain issues in these areas, you know what I mean? I think that is really impactful and and, and it's 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 really it's really what's the word that I'm looking for? It's remarkable, you know what I mean? And the reason being because it's something unfortunately that's not seen as often as it should, you know. 
especially after seeing the results of what can be done from moving in that direction and thinking in that type of way and, and, and having the intent to make that type of impact. Like, unfortunately, it's not seen as often as it should be. So when you do see it, it's like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. And, and we've had a conversation, you know, that you were at 17 years old, sort of angry, didn't feel, feel a lot of self-worth. And it seems to me that if you had the opportunity to work with someone like this, that may have changed the trajectory of your life. We even talk about like, if I was walking down the street as a 17-year-old in your neighborhood and you saw me, you'd rob me. You had no second thoughts about doing that, right? For sure. I think you're right. I think that's the type of person that could have possibly had a huge impact on me because for myself, I, I felt like I didn't have a voice. And he's definitely a person that allowed you to feel heard, you know, and at that and at that vital age of 17, especially, I think that's something that is strongly desired to the point that it's a necessity. Because if not having that that voice, if not feeling heard, the response to that could be vital to to, to your longevity. I think yep. a lot of times, especially for young men, you know, we got to rebel. And, and that's one of the things that could potentially fuel that. So I think what he was doing to be able to make that impact and penetrate, you know, that mask, that guard, that shield, if we will, you know, to get people to move past that, that's that's crazy. That's that's in a good in a good yeah. way, in a great way. Yeah. And, and I look at sort of, you know, there's so much, uh, you know, renewed violence. Certainly we see a lot across inner city uh, communities today, but we also see pockets of success. Like I consider him a pocket right. of success within East L.A. and Homeboy for sure, saved many, many lives. Unfortunately, he's still burying people today, but there has been a huge positive influence there. You know, we've had uh, Arnie Duncan on the show before from Chicago Cred. Uh, who's Shout showing, out Arnie Duncan. Who's showing a lot of success there. And also, you know, we had James Houston on the show and, you know, he was a TLM grad. He's in the Office of Neighborhood Safety in Richmond and they're having Shout success. Shout out James Houston. Yeah, they're having success too. So, you know, we, it's unfortunate there's not enough of that, but um, we do show signs that it could happen if we take those really aggressive steps and are willing to go, as I said before, in the belly of the beast and really, you know, handle it head on and address those issues at that point where people are at that critical crossroads in their lives. Like for myself, I'm going to be real. I got to a point where I got so like deep down the rabbit hole, if we will, I kind of like lost myself in a sense of like lost compassion, lost remorse and all that. But that's because I was numb. You know what I mean? Like I was numb to a lot of the emotions that I was facing because I felt like I had to turn those emotions off in order to survive. I felt like if I was to acknowledge those things, then I would be soft and that can get me victimized. You know, so I think now that people are seeing that it's OK to not be OK, it's OK to hurt, it's OK to cry, it's OK to feel these things, it's OK to want to be better. Now that people are seeing this and understanding this, that's one of the things that's going to ultimately normalize this kind of behavior and conversation, you know? Yep. And uh, what's cool is during this interview, we'll bring in Richard Cabral, who is uh, served time, worked at Homeboy Industries, has had an amazing career as a as an Emmy nominated actor. Uh, so yep. he he is going to join us with Father Greg. And we're going to have a subsequent separate conversation with him on another show. But just to see those two together is really inspiring. Absolutely. We got to check this out, man. It's going to be dope. Right here on The Last Mile Radio on Sirius XM. It's going to go down. So stay tuned.
Yes, 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 and we are back. We are back. You are tuned in to the Last Mile Radio right here on Sirius XM. It's about to go down. Chris, who we got in the building today? We have someone who I'm very, very honored to have here today, Father Greg Boyle. Absolutely. The founder of Homeboy Industries and many other things. Absolutely. So happy to have him here with us today. Welcome to the Last Mile Radio. Yes, yes. Welcome to the Last Mile Radio. Good to be here. And uh, you probably don't remember, but um, 10 years ago plus, we met in San Quentin. And I was a little nervous at the time because we were just starting the Last Mile Prison Education Program. And as E likes to say, you drop some jewels on me. And I still I still remember that. So I appreciate that conversation with someone who is aspiring to start a program. So thank you for that. Thank you for your good memory. <laughs> that is better than mine. <laughs> But we want to, you know, obviously there's, uh, you know, what you've done in Homeboy is so well chronicled. Yes. But um, it's so important to really hear the origin story because, you know, you did something that was so unique, being in a position in a neighborhood that was struggling so much and uh, using your, you know, your influence and so forth and building a community that's really evolved in something really spectacular. Can you give us a sense of, how that really started? What was the sort of the nugget of inspiration for you to do that in a very difficult neighborhood? Well, I, I was just pastor of a parish in the housing projects that, that were the largest grouping of public housing west of the Mississippi. We had eight gangs at war with each other. So I was, that was my parish was these two, you know, kind of a tiny geographic area, but densely populated. So, and I started to bury kids in 1988. And so, and then I was, you know, I was burying eight kids in a three-week period and and things like that. So that that was what I would call the decade of death, which was 88 to 98, 92 being the highest number of gang-related homicides um, in Los Angeles. Did that also correspond with the sort of the emergence of crack at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, certainly crack was a part of it. And, And what the gang members did, they would run up to cars and sell crack you know that was kind of the main thing but that transformed the face of uh, the gang reality so uh, you know what were my alternatives you know i could uh, bury my head in the sand or roll up my sleeves so we as a community we started a school then we started a jobs program and then we couldn't find enough jobs so we started kind of little businesses social enterprises uh and then the first one really was homeboy bakery uh, in uh, 1992. And now we're the largest gang intervention rehab reentry program on the planet. So 10,000 folks a year walk through our doors. So we never set out, hey, what if we did this? We evolved. We backed our way into becoming that. And and the bakery itself is extraordinary just by by alone. I've I've been there many times and I don't know, you employ hundreds of people in that bakery today, correct? Yeah, well, we have 500 employees at Homeboy. And so we have 13 social enterprises and recycling and silk screening and all sorts of things. That's incredible. And you started it really, uh, again, doing this very small. And I can kind of relate because when we started the last mile in San Quentin, I was not familiar with this community and had to build trust with the population inside, build trust with the administration, and it, sort of this little nugget that my wife Beverly and I started, um, and it's evolved to become a national program. 
And, um, you know, E and I have talked a lot about, like, if someone comes in a community, it's a little different because you were in the community today. But, you know, if I walk in Oakland mm-hmm. early on when he was a young guy, he would approach me and probably rob me. Wasn't well, right? no probably, Chris. I would have got you. <laughs> I would have got you. Just being all the way real, I would have I got you. But 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 then you can talk about that experience about someone coming in that isn't naturally from that neighborhood, right? And actually doing something and and starting to get that following and adoption, you can really relate to that. Absolutely, I think I think that's an incredible feat first and foremost. But like one thing I know from experience, at least you know growing up, growing up in the hood and things like that, that territorial mindset is, is serious. You know, as far as who is allowed to come through or who 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 will will be okay in that sense. You know what I mean? So I guess that still boils down to allowance, right? Of who we feel should be present in our area, right? Not that we own these blocks or anything like that, which is a crazy way to think, but that's a ter- territorial mind state was definitely real and definitely prevalent uh, when it came to like just my overall mentality for sure. So anybody that was deemed as an outsider or anybody that was deemed um, to not be from over here, should I say, like you became a target. Absolutely. And and it, race played a role in that, too. You know what I mean? Like if if uh, hypothetically, like if a white dude was to come through and where I'm from, um, either in Oakland or even when I was growing up in Stockton, unfortunately, I did like a lot of robberies there. And if somebody was to come through the neighborhoods that I was living in and at that time, I was like, what are you doing over here? Oh, I got to get you. This is a free one. And it's very unfortunate. But that is the mentality that that plagued us for sure. Yeah. So uh, when when that started to evolve and and people started to see that there was uh you know real benefit in doing that and I know you did things like started tattoo removal early on. Can you talk a little bit about that because that's become a big deal also and that also changes the physical presence as opposed to the internal presence. But you know so like even tattoo removal was never a thing where I said, you know I th- you know what they need it, that, that that was never kind of how we ever operated. Somebody came to me, you know, and they had fucked the world on their forehead, and they said, I'm having a hard time finding a job. <laughs> I wonder why. And, and I said, well, okay. And then that's exactly how that was the dynamic. Mm. And so then I went to a doctor at White Memorial Hospital. I heard he had a laser machine. How about give me an hour a month? You know, and I had this guy and like five others who wanted their tattoos off. Yeah, But it was never about me saying, you know, uh, listen to me, take those tattoos off. I've, I've never said that to anybody, you know, and, you know, that right away, you know, we had a waiting list of 3,000 gang members after I'd started this w- one hour a month thing. And then pe- homies were saying, you know, can I get in on that? So now, you know, we're five days a week, Monday through Friday, nine to five, 40 volunteer doctors, and it's and we have still have a waiting list for of a thousand people. That's incredible. That's right? incredible. Man. But it was never something from the outside in. And you know the the thing about uh, coming from the outside, it certainly was true that you know here was this white guy in the projects. Of course, they knew they ended up knowing I was the priest of that church right there that's in the middle. Mm-hmm. But initially, you know, it was, everybody thought I was you know, an undercover cop, <laughs> but, but my very first day there, I said, well, I'm not, not going to sit in my office. So I started to walk in the parish and I got stopped by the police, which was obviously racial profiling because I was a white guy in the projects, sure. which meant I was there to buy drugs. Right. 
And I said, uh, oh, no, I'm, I'm the priest, the new priest here at the church, and I'm walking in my parish. And the cop said, I don't recommend it. He said, <laughs> you know, I'm glad I never listened to him. Absolutely. But, it, but, but I found this, you know, when, when I got familiar with uh, being in prison and in San Quentin, you know, you have to walk across the yard a lot. And, and um, you know, people say, is that dangerous? Well, you have you. It's still prison, but you have this community that's sort of, quote, unquote, protecting you because you're bringing value. And I've heard you say before, you used to ride your bike all over the neighbor, you know, the neighborhoods and didn't really feel at risk. Is is that really safe to say? Because those people really respected what you were doing. Yeah, I never felt in danger by, you know, the, the eight gangs with one African-American gang and seven Latino gangs. Um, that was one of the safest places to be except you know you often as it happened you're in the middle of right cross crossfire yep. and, and you know but i never took it personally so father greg i, I want to know something right what was that moment for you where you like was able to identify and knew like i'm actually embraced in this culture like i'm a part of this culture i'm not an outsider here even though that may be perceived as such right you got the police telling you things like i don't think you should be here and they profiling you based off you know just this look what was that moment for you where you felt that 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 sense of being embraced and accepted and knew like i'm a part of this community well you know i think pretty early on i mean i was there from uh, 84 to 92 you know and as pastor and so um but you know i i don't think it was ever a thing where i was trying to gain some kind of acceptance right it was you know again you don't go to the margins to make a difference you go to the margins so that the folks there make you different right. and so you know you're you're I remember a homie asked me in Houston who worked with gang members in Houston. And he said, how do you reach them? And he was a former gang member. And I said, well, you know, for starters, stop trying to reach them. Can you be reached by them? Can you allow your heart to be altered? Can you receive who they are? And then that's eternally replenishing, you know, to kind of approach it that way, as opposed to, I hope they like me, you know. Um, but it did take a while, you know, for sure. You know, and then you could ask things, right? You know, hey, what if we didn't shoot into inhabited dwellings? It may seem like a pyrrhic victory, but that was kind of those were the things, you know. And I, you know, I had peace treaties, truces, ceasefires, and I, I learned how to do all that stuff, you know, from making mistakes. But uh, but then you could ask things, and it mainly it was born of the fact that I would visit three hospitals a day. Because there were so many wounded, which mm -hmm. is so different from the, the the weapons that are out there now. Right. And there were so many, you know, people in hospitals. So you would visit folks in hospitals or I'd visit them in juvenile hall or the probation camps. And then word spread. They'd say, hey, you know, he visited me. And then that kind of gave you the juice card a little bit. Can, re can you recall the first time that you successfully um, was able to, to negotiate a peace treaty? Like, that's pretty, that is big. Like, first and foremost, like, one thing I know, like, I, I'm not a part of a gang or nothing like that, but I, I know a lot of people that are, right? And I feel like they have a real, like, IDGAF type mentality. I don't give a F, right? And it's, it's hard to tell somebody something like that to the point they'll be receptive. So, like... Can you recall the first time you were able to do that? Because that's a lot of power. That mean they really respected your word. They really respected you as a person. That's a lot of influence. Yeah, I, I learned, you know, the hard way. You know, initially I would bring them together. Of course, everybody came armed and it was all very much, uh, 
you know, they were, it was a performance, you know? And so I thought, well, I'm not going to do that again. So then I would kind of get the terms of it, you know? Um, what if, again, like not, not shooting to houses, which was a thing. Right. You know, unfortunately, and, um, or no drive-bys or there were kind of little modifications on things. And how about the summer? How about for the summer that you don't shoot at each other? So this is between this gang and this gang. And then I would kind of write it up because privately and with me alone, they would say, yeah, do this. Let's do this. But then I'd bring them together and it was all, right. you know, Lights, camera action. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. And so, but then they, they kind of went, no, we really do want this. So I said, you sign it. And then their word was their word. And I was just kind of shuttle diplomacy writing so you, my back. You like, literally had them signed? Like it was oh, yeah. an actual contract? Yeah, like a, uh, you know, like you would a peace treaty. Right, times of agreement. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that happened for a long time. Uh, yeah. But it's, but it's one thing for them not to shoot at each other. It's another thing for them to actually work together. And this is something that you moved that true to those treaties into saying, let's work side by side. How did that work out initially? Well, you know, we had a school first where we had members from the eight gangs and we'd have three major brawls a day, but they came every day, you know? So, but then we kind of, then they, you know, you can't demonize people, you know? So once you put people in the vicinity of each other, you know, at, at our silk screen, at the bakery, at our cafe. Um, and they'll always begin by saying, I'll work with them, but I'm not going to talk to them. Yep. <laughs> and which bothered me initially, but not anymore. I go, fine, don't talk to them. Because you know that, that you can't sustain this as human beings. Right. And so then what, what will always happen is that people will say, you know, he's, I work with him. He's my friend. You yeah, know. actually, cool. <laughs> yeah, and does that act? Does that always happen? Yes. Are there any exceptions? No. <laughs> you know, and and it shouldn't surprise us that that that's kind of our own deepest longing as human beings. And we've seen that too, where uh, in our classrooms there are people of all ethnicities working together. So they come off the yard where it's super segregated. They're in their housing unit, super segregated, but they come in the classroom and they work together. And I think, and some of those relationships have translated outside where they've become very close friends. Oh, yeah. And you've seen that, right? Definitely. Um, and so it sort of breaks that stereotype to some degree. But to your point, like the human element of that, just put people together, you know, and, and break that barrier. And they actually can relate. I mean, you can really relate to that. Absolutely. I, I know people that was like literally part of white supremacy groups. Like, like actual skinheads, like so serious. No longer that anymore, but that was due to the proximity. You know what I mean? It, it completely shattered what their belief system was once they became proximate and had to acknowledge that they fell into believing lies, you know? So, like, I, I agree with that 100%. I think proximity can get people to come together and a lot of the things that we dislike about a person, especially a person we don't know, because that's usually how it goes with the gang stuff, right? People joining gangs all the time. So it's a bunch of people you don't even really personally know, but you have this hatred because what's being fed to you. That's so proximity, I feel, can shatter that because now you get to see a person and you got to make your own judgment of their character and who they are once you get past that bias, of course, right? And so to me, that makes all the sense in the world. Because I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen it in the last mile. I've seen it with, when relationships get formed in prison that, that are able to transcend beyond, you know, those politics. But it all comes from proximity and communication. Right. And then that understanding is one of the things that's a byproduct of that. Yeah, that's right. 
I'd love to get some advice from you because the last mile is starting social enterprises, following in your footsteps. We're doing that this year. Um, and you've, you have m- many of them. 13. Now. 13. Now. Wow. How did you determine what to do and w- those that would really appeal to that community and would get receptiveness? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't do it the way I do it. So okay. That's why I'm asking you questions. Don't, don't follow uh, our example. And, you know, so across the street from our elementary school was this bakery that was abandoned, had ovens that didn't work. So uh, this movie producer who offered help, I said, well, buy it, fix the ovens. I mean, again, you know, is bread a good idea? You know, I, I probably not, you know, are restaurants a good idea. I've got four of them, you know, it's like, Probably not. You know, so the silkscreen, though, was uh, that's always made money, which is and we've had hundreds of enemy rival gang members go through there and work there over the last 30 years. Wow. And that's because it's kind of inflation proof. It's um, you, people always need a shirt that says the last mile. That's right. I'm just saying. And, uh, <laughs> and then so, you know, from Duly all noted <laughs> from all over the country, we we do, you know, universities, high schools, you know. And that that really kind of uh, is a winning. Uh, it may not be as sexy as bread or a <laughs> restaurant, you know. So people want to do that. Right. So we we have this thing called the Global Homeboy Network, which mm-hmm. we started about 16 years ago. And so we have 300 programs in the country and 50 outside the country modeled on Homeboy. And it's the methodology. It's not just working with returning citizens or gang members. It's also homeless, mentally. Right. A health issue, um, disaffected youth, whatever, from Glasgow, Scotland to Sydney to Chicago to San Diego. So a lot of them will begin with a social enterprise, you know, and a coffee shop or something where they can bring in this population, whatever it is, homeless or gang member or returning citizen. And then they add things case managers, navigators, therapy, tattoo removal, if it makes sense, whatever it is. But it's mainly the, the, the community of cherished belonging where people feel safe and seen and cherished. Then, you know, they make uh, progress in dealing with whatever vexing d- social dilemma they're, they're trying to address. So, but it's hard. I'm not very good on this uh, selecting a business. You know, we're about to move into a, dr- a dog grooming kind of thing. We've tried so many different, and some of them work. And anything worth doing is worth failing at. So, I like that. So we have a lot of failures that are out there. Hey, that's that's <clears throat> part of it. Yeah. You know, uh, look, my heritage is in Silicon Valley. There's a high failure rate in in companies, <laughs> sure. but. But that's part of it. You know, you, yeah. you have to take those risks and chances and see what works. Um, as you expand, you know, you're based in L.A. And you, like you said, you've had this global network of people sort of emulating what you're doing. Is there a plan to sort of take those physical locations beyond where you are today? And, you know, how do you look at growing Homeboy as a, as an overall organization? Well, right now we're, we're trying to imagine this thing called Hope Village. So if you know where we are, our headquarters in Chinatown behind us is just two blocks away is Men's Central Jail, which they've agreed not to uh, tear down and rebuild. So, so then we said, well, let's fill the, this void 
with a real alternative to incarceration. You know, a village. Yep. You know, housing, uh, mental health, substance use disorder, outreach, um, art. You know, and just imagine this kind of village. Who knows? You know, where it can become a model, perhaps in the country, where we say, you know, it's okay to. Um, the, the goal is not to make prisons nicer, but to make communities healthier. So, how do you how do you kind of imagine? A real alternative. We talk about alternatives without proposing alternatives. Right. And so, you know, so it's okay to imagine the day when policing is obsolete and prisons are empty. And now what do you do? How do you, um, you know, how do you choose not to punish wound anymore and to seek to heal it? And so that's where we are in a $100 million campaign that we're trying to envision in that area behind us which is you know a lot of we'd have to acquire land uh some of it the city i hope is going to give to us as there's two parking lots where where police cars go to die when they've been involved in accidents so they want to get rid of that and give this to us so we can build uh, temporary housing and permanent housing and that would be extraordinary. And that yeah. is a that is a model that could be replicated. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, if you do that, that would be amazing. Something that's really never been done. And right. something people can look at and say, oh, that that's what it looks like. Because right. part exactly. of our job is to galvanize people's imagination. So because right. if they can see it, then they go, okay, well, maybe we will stop doing this. Yep. You know, trying to incarcerate our way out of our problems that i think a lot of people need to see it because i think unfortunately it's a lot of people that don't think it's possible i felt like like at least with sensationalized especially in media i think is a common perception of like people aren't good i think that's one thing that media definitely tries to sensationalize like the world is just this terrible place so people lose faith in humanity and i think that is so needed because that's going to disprove that at the end of the day i think compassion i think um connectivity you know all these things are inadvertently within us so i think doing something like that will really be able to transcend beyond a lot of these blocks that we put up that overall like developed our perceptions of what humanity looks like in our current state i think that is a power move for sure i think you're exactly right and i think that gets underneath that's the aerial view as opposed to what policy steps should we take you know i was at a on a panel and in there were three of us and packed auditorium and and i don't know what we, we were talking about all sorts of things. But I said, at Homeboy, we embrace two principles. One is everybody is unshakably good, no exceptions. And we belong to each other, Hmm. no exceptions. And I said, now, do I think all our social vexing dilemma that face us would dissipate if we embrace those two principles? And I said, yes, I do. And the entire auditorium laughed. They just burst into laughter when the laughter subsided. And I was kind of startled when the laughter subsided. I said, yes, I do. Hmm. And that's the kind of, you know, uh, for 40 years, I've worked with gang members. I've ever met a, a bad person. No, I've ever met an evil person. No, you would think maybe I might have, but I haven't, you know, I've met despondent people and mentally ill people and traumatized people and broken people and wounded people. but uh, I've never met anybody evil, and it's an easy thing to assert that everybody's unshakably good, 
and there are no exceptions. And consequently, we belong to each other mm. and no exceptions. So how do you imagine a circle of compassion? And then how do you imagine nobody standing outside that circle? But it, that's exactly right what you said is because that's the thing that undergirds all our mistakes. Well, we need to take bad people off the streets. Well, you know, we could actually heal the wound. That part. And we could deliver mental health services. Mm -hmm. And we could infuse hope to people for whom hope is foreign. We could do all that stuff. And our prisons would be empty because we were actually creating communities that were healthy, you know. My question is, is, is also related to that because... You know, in the communities, there's this adversarial relationship with law enforcement and those in the communities. You mentioned it before you were profiled. Have you seen any change in how law enforcement is working in the neighborhoods you're in? Or has that been sort of, you know, status quo from when you started till now? Oh, no, I, that's huge progress, you know, because I remember the bad old days, you know, yep. where they gang members and drop them off in enemy territories yep. or or they would beat them down for purposes of interrogation or intimidation and arrest them for nothing and and so i remember those days and and so have we made progress and certainly from the top you know nobody talks the madness that that you know daryl gates used to talk sure and and you know, wipe them out and get tough and Operation Hammer, all those things couldn't happen today. So as much as we can, you know, be critical and as we should maintain our stance of advocacy, you know, may we never return to the really dark days that we, we had before, which were, you know, unthinkable now and hard to retrieve even now. And our first 10 years as, as Homeboy Industries were death threats, bomb threats, hate mail. Yeah, wow. not from gang members because they already knew who we were, but but from people who demonized gang members, right? And you know, and that was intense, and we couldn't raise money because why would you help these folks? And and it was a short hop if you demonize gang members to demonize me for helping them, but but then that changed. I mean, it really did change in Los Angeles, and uh, and I I mark when when the bakery burned down in October of ninety nine. The whole city said, no, this place, Homeboy belongs to us, mm. you know? And so people, that's why we, we have this headquarters in, in Chinatown, because it shifted from tough on crime to smart on crime. And, and they, you know, they supported Homeboy. What, what, what do you feel played a role in that shift? Why do you think that shift took place? You know, it's hard to say. I think, you know, people started to see you know, they say, wow, enemies and news reports and documentaries. And, and here are guys who used to shoot at each other. They're making croissants together. Yep. And so they, they'd see it. And, and because if your choice to the city is tough or smart, I mean, excuse me, tough or soft, nobody's going to choose soft. They're going right. to choose tough. But if it's tough and smart, they're going to choose smart. And so then that became you know, very evident in the city. And people said, well, we'd rather be smart. And so that just, it was kind of a shift that, that happened almost overnight. Wow. Yeah. It, this show is, is not only, you know, on Sirius XM and, and available to the general public, but we, all these shows that we make available to our students inside. Some of what you said 
really sparking something in community and individuals. Are there some core things that someone listening here who's on that edge of wanting to really make a, a change and transform some, something that you would suggest or something that's been a common theme that you've seen people go through Homeboy? Yeah, Homeboy doesn't recruit or cajole or try to convince people. Every, every 120,000 gang members in L.A. County, they all know where we are. They know what we do. They know what we're about. We hope they'll walk through the doors. But it's a little bit like rehab. You know, you have to want it. Yep. And, right. and we don't exist for people who need it, only for those who want it. So it takes what it takes in recovery. It can be the, the birth of a son, the death of a friend a long stretch in prison, it takes what it takes for somebody to finally say, that's it for me. And in the old days, everybody shook their fists and, 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 and screamed at gang members to get off this violent freeway, and there was no exit ramp. And then Homeboy was an exit ramp. And it was even an exit ramp for people who never walked through our doors, because then they could imagine, I can actually s step away. Right. And and I could go there, I could do something else. And it would kind of open the possibility that people could imagine, you know, a future. Father Greg Boyle in the house, so stay tuned. It's going to go down when we come back right here on The Last Mile Radio on Sirius XM. This is The Last Mile Radio on Sirius XM. Now, Chris and E's conversation with Father Greg Boyle, the founder of Homeboy Industries, continues. One of the reasons people make bad decisions because in their perspective, they have these list of options and that's the best option that they have is this bad decision to get them where they want to be, right? So having that option, I think is so powerful, especially for somebody, you know, coming from that experience, knowing that they have that way out that won't necessarily cause further adversity, if we will. Because I know right. lot, lots of times when people are, are, are battling like their exit strategies, consequences that could potentially come with that. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's, in, in the sense of consequences that I'm referring to, not only just the physical violence and things like that, but you could become ostracized, all these other things, the yeah. viewpoints that come with that, right? So having this option here is a respectable exit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really big. That's really yeah. important. Yeah. No, it's exactly right. And so it's options, you know, not just one option, but maybe multiple. So, you know, if it and it's if somebody can't imagine what tomorrow looks like, then the present isn't very compelling. And if your present doesn't compel you, then you don't care whether you inflict harm or duck to get out of harm's way. So you want to be able to create, you know, an imagination that will say, you know, you could really do X, Y and Z. Which one do you want? You know, and just uh, talking today to some homies in, in the office who came by, you know, it's all of a sudden because they're at Homeboy and they're in a place where they feel, you know, seen and and they're inhabiting their own dignity and nobility. They start to say, you know, I think I'd like to do this, you know, and a homie was kind of articulating that, which is good, you know, because that just means his imagination is starting to see himself do a variety of things that would have been unthinkable before. 100%. And one of the things that we really try to uh, emphasize is, you know, you live in a box and many people 
you know, they think in a box and to blow that away and to see where we are today, where we have people getting out of prison out of our program, they become software engineers working for tech companies. That was inconceivable. Have you had examples of those that have just blown it away? And we're going to be talking to one who's blown that away as well in a minute. But what are examples of people that have gone beyond expectation? Yeah, I'm kind of weird when it comes to success, you know, because I, I, Mother Teresa used to say, uh, you know, we're not called to be successful, we're called to be faithful. So mm. for me, I, I try to keep it just focused on the person right in front of you. Yeah. And it's like, uh, and it's dosing. You know, because uh, I, I don't believe in failure. So, so somebody comes in, they're getting a dose, a dose, a dose. We're holding the mirror up. We're telling them they're exactly what God had in mind when God made them, and they're starting to inhabit that. And then all of a sudden, you know, they get popped or they relapse or something. In the old days, because we've been homeboys, been around for thirty six years. We used to go, oh, we'd fret. Oh my God, maybe they'll come back or. Nobody says that now. Everybody goes, he'll be back. Right. Not only will he be back or she, they'll come back and they'll run the place. Yeah. Everybody in charge, 70% of our folks have come through our the program who run the place. 70% of our 180 uh, senior staff. So anyway, it, it's like, um, so reporters all, will always say, you know, tell me a success story. And I always say, no. You know, because everybody's a success. It's like asking, you know, a 12-step program, you know, does it work? Of course it works if you work it. Sure. You know? right. But it's the same principle. So yeah. it's like, and, and and even the folks who have, it's taken them four times to finally find their footing. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, the three times that they've stepped away or went back, you know, those aren't failures. They're just hiccups. Right. Exactly. We really appreciate you spending time with us. I love what you guys do. This is really uh, honorable. Thank you. And, thank, you. And thank you. It really and, and vice versa. Oh we love God. what you do as oh well. Oh, my God. But look who you invite. <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted to, this was such a great surprise because having you come is an honor. As I said before, love, love, love that. And we just think Homeboy is, is something that, you know, is inspiring to us as an organization. We've been doing this 14 years now and you're still an inspiration, but we having uh, someone who's really flourished uh, in, you know, uh, in your organization and done some incredible things. We want to bring you guys together. We're going to do an interview with Richard Cabral, but we wanted to put you guys together. Yeah, just we, we happen to just be here, right? <laughs> I want to let everybody know, like, I messed up. But God wanted to be as such. My interview is not till three thirty. <laughs> oh, oh, right, pops. And I have to be back. So you got, uh, well, you're leaving. Oh yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm going. But have we to. have to bring you together. Yeah. At least so to here we are. Yeah, all yeah. right, yeah. we got it. But what you guys don't know when you ask him these questions, though, too, is like he sees us all as his children. I think sometimes, so it's kind of hard for him to like answer who's his best. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's no, he 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 treats us all as like his children. So when you ask him who is the best, right, you can't ask a father that because right. he's not gonna. Get Give you a real answer but uh, he was I, a little evasive but, I guess. but the main i like if anybody knows anything about my career i would have not made this ha this couldn't have happened without pops and i just say that you know and i speak on coming out of prison and you just letting me inhabit my own truth as you said because there is no hopeful child that becomes a gang member and i didn't know that 
before stepping into homeboy. So love you, pops. I love you so much. That's day. All right. Man. Well, you, people are going to have to they're going to have to listen to another episode because we're going to spend a whole uh, hour with you, Richard. So, uh, but but it was so cool to have you guys together. No, it's a right, great a great right. surprise. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I just want to like speak a little bit on that. Like, it's always you've always centered the homeboys, right? You always had because in the beginning, I started there fifteen years fifteen years ago. It was in, wow. it was entirely different, right? Like right, pop, right, yeah. pops. It was like so like back then all the 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 leading positions the leading roles at the organizations were of people that weren't homeboys and homegirls that's right now there there it's homeboys and homegirls that and i was it was always that you're like it's not that they can't do it they just haven't been taught so yeah. why don't you train them right? Right. right it's not others that are doing the work it needs to be people of the community right pops yeah, yeah. I yeah. just, if you wanted to just, you know, share a little bit of yeah, that. that yeah. That's one of the great things you've taught me in, in this work. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I look at Stevie and Jose See, exactly, and Hector exactly, and the list exactly, is exactly. I'm not the only success story, right? I just that there's a lot of the brothers and sisters that chose, you know, that to to continue, continue on the work that you that you that you trailblaze for, you know, yeah. going on 40 years in, yeah. in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is nice to kind of. It's about ownership, you know, where people kind of own uh, the culture at Homeboy, and the culture mm -hmm. is the thing. Mm -hmm. La cultura, la cultura is lo que cura, yeah. you know, so hey, it's, the it's culture the, is what cures. It's what heals. Yeah, it heals. The culture <laughs> yeah. Will, yeah, 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 yeah. And so that's what you hope for. So, but they, they have so embraced it as, uh, it's not my culture, you know, it's, it's kind of the culture at homeboy. Yeah. It's like, I, you know, I, I don't feel like I've ever transformed a life in my life, but I know that transformation happens there. And and that's the kind of the point of the dosing is that, you know, Miguel, the security guy and all these homies and people who are kind of, you know, putting their arms around people and saying, you're okay. You'll yep. be okay. You're yeah. safe. Here. Yeah. It's a safe place. You, you don't it's need to bring that gun here. You yeah. Know, like yeah. That, yeah. Right. You, you know. need that gun today, bro. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's that. It's traumatized people, right? It's, right. It, and it's that is the embodiment of the space, Pops, that you have just how, how that space it's 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 i don't know what you do that at a church or, or wherever they taught you that through the jesuits but holding the space to heal and transform mm -hmm. that's it that's and like he talks about the dose like this is the dose like hey pops like just hey yeah and go back out there son we're right here right go back out there right son yeah and that's it and throughout the 15 years like i won't see you for a year but i'll always come back why because that was the dose of love that these communities mm. don't have what is he doing he's giving you something that wasn't there mm. these kids didn't have love these kids didn't have a father you know now they have that so that trans that transforms everything i love it i love it Definitely. We're going to end with that because how could you get better than that? So we love <laughs> right. that so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. This has been powerful. One thing I say all the time is presence is priceless. And I really mean that. So thank you so much for being present with us. Thank you so much for sharing your journey, dropping these jewels on us. Mm. You tuning in, you better have had your notepad <laughs> and all that. Be sure to rewind this one because it was a whole lot of jewels in this one. For real. Talk about dropping jewels. It was raining game. So ah. serious. So I, I, I can't thank you enough. Thank you. One, thank one thing we do on the last mile, man, we give flowers. We got to give you your flowers, mm -hmm. man. So serious and they well deserve. And pretty much what that means, a lot of times unfortunately you know when people get their flowers it's after they already dead and gone it's when they're on the grave that's when you hear the good words and the acknowledgements and all those things so i want to give you your flowers while you can still smell them man so serious <laughs> i appreciate it i smell them thank you all absolutely right. so absolutely. appreciate it chris it just got real that was nuts that was beyond expectation that was literally <laughs> not only not only to sit with Father G, but also just to see 
the two of them, Father G and Richard, my eyes were sweating, and you know that's hard for that's hard for me to do, right? But this that was true. That, you, you could just see the way he lit up, like that. That was so genuine. The way he just lit up, like yeah. that was nuts. It, it was, and and the respect that it's shown, and I've seen this when I've gone to Homeboy and so forth. But to see those two interact, and Richards, his success is directly attributed to. You know, the the amount of love and commitment that was shown by Father G and also by Homeboy. And to see that, that's one person. He's done it for, for literally thousands of people. But Richard happens to be very high profile. But to see that is just really incredible. Definitely. I think that's a display, again, of what's possible, man, of what's possible when, you know, you actually invest in the people in your community. You know what I mean? I think a lot of times they see people like Richard. They see people like myself. They see people like a bunch of people we had on the show and they look at us as if we're exceptional, you know, as if we're the exceptions. Because unfortunately, it's not as often as it should be that, you know, people get the opportunity to shine. But ultimately, I feel like we the reflection of what takes place when given the opportunity to grow, you know, when someone else, you know, in a better position sees these things and, and see the ways, you know, that were deprived and, and, and then invest in, you know, the people within the community of a deprived community. I think that really just begins to display the things that are possible when that takes place. I think we should all take heed, you know, to the successes because, again, it's an actual display of what, of what can happen. How do we know? Because it did despite all odds, and then we can break down how and why. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah, and and it's, you know, we talked about those that are in competing gangs that would not talk to each other on the street or maybe even be at odds, you know, working alongside each other and then having a relationship that goes beyond those perceived lines. And, you know, we've talked a lot about that inside prison where, you know, you've got um, different changes in or different relationships with uh, crossing racial lines. Um, and you experienced it certainly, you know, when you were doing music that, you know, you had uh, folks from different gangs come together because of music. But here it's because right. of working together and building a real community. And, and the people that are involved in Homeboy really look at that as a community and look at Homeboy first and secondary, what all those other sort of previous you know, re, uh, sort of communities were and relationships were through the gang relationships. But the community really is what what Father G has built within Homeboy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would definitely say he, he the heart of the community for sure, for sure, because he the glue. He keeping it together. Yeah. You know, what's really ironic, too, is he talked about, you know, riding his bike in the community. The people that he was hassled by weren't people in the community that you would think, but the police, Right. Right. They stopped him because they're like, what are you doing here? Right. And it's right. sort of you disrupting this program. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's sort of like I, I can delay it a little bit because, you know, when we started walking across the yard in San Quentin, you think, well, right. that's that's a little bit uh, vulnerable. But just the opposite. You're like in this protected community. And Father Greg is that way in his community. Right. He's so well Definitely. respected and revered that the community is going to protect him. Definitely. Chris, I'm something I'm sure that's something that you could definitely relate to for sure, for sure. Especially like, you know, having the space of the last mile in these prisons. I, I feel like that also is a safe place that people could come and grow to. So, you know, I, I feel like you and Father Greg got a lot in common in that space. You know what I mean? For sure. Because you already know how that feeling is walking through any of the prisons. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
you're seen as an asset versus like somebody that's against us, if we will. Yeah. So you definitely somebody that that's treasured and somebody that is safe. I, I think that is uh, something that's dope to point out, though, because I think a lot of people wouldn't realize those type of things. You're comfortable for a reason. You know what I mean? Like it's good people yep. and good people do good shit. <laughs> Well, I, I appreciate that, but you know we're going to have to have other conversation with Father Greg. We're going to have to bring him in, but for now, we have to take it out. Absolutely. It's about that time. It is about that time. And you know how we do at this time, man. I got to give you your flowers, man. You always show up and show out the most consistent, for sure, for sure. So I got to give you your flowers, baby. Thanks. I appreciate it. And back at you. Absolutely. And I'm going to accept my flowers. And speaking of flowers, I got to give you your flowers. You who tuned in to rock with us. Y'all know I say it all the time. Presence is priceless. So thank you so much for being present and rocking with us. Got to give you your flowers. And I would love to hear from y'all. We want to hear what you like. We want to hear what you don't like. And we want to hear what you want to hear. Let us know what you want to hear us talk about. Be sure to tap in at thelastmileradio.org. And if you want to hear this show or any show anytime, download the SiriusXM app. Go download it. I'm Maserati E. And I'm Chris Redlitz. And this is The Last Mile Radio. On SiriusXM. No lie. I, I've been on a journey for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. I've been on a journey for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. I'm paving the road to success. Hey, I'm paving the road to the best. Wait, I'm paving the road to success. Hey, I'm paving the road to the best. Wait, no lie to the best ways. Increase the success rate. Define odds against us, even when it's unexpected. Changing the world by changing the way we view the world, it's all perspective. 